You were absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. You knew so much more of the tune than I did, which wouldn't be too difficult, to be honest. Um, wow. Yeah, I think it should be the national anthem. I think the Archer's theme tune. And I think, you know, the Queen, when she's on her horse, she should sing it. La, 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 la. And it'd be marvellous, wouldn't it? Let's, let's get on with it, shall we? Um, we have so many people, so many members of our church who, are, who service in all sorts of wonderful ways and don't always have much opportunity to... Um, to uh, we, we don't really see them at the front. But I just wanted to invite four of them just to honor the fact there are so many people who are serving us in all sorts of ways. Just four of them to come and just read through the Easter story this morning. Um, and we're going to read from John's Gospel. So I want to invite... I hope they know which order they're doing it in, because, guys, if you read it in different orders, that's going to be very confusing for everyone. Um, So I wonder if we could just uh, welcome Mark and Matt and Magella and Abby, who are going to come and serve us in this way. Guys, would you just come forward? Let's just show our appreciation to these guys who serve us so well. And they're they're going to read from John's Gospel. Off the stage, Matt, come on. It's probably easy to do it from there. I think we're in the right order. It's good. good. Okay. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Then um, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now Jesus stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them 
that he had said these things to her. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father had sent me, I am sending you. And, when that, and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have forgiven anyone's sins, then their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Great, thank you so, so much. just realized there are a number of foreign nationals here today, and I want to just apologize about the whole archers thing. You won't have a clue what we're talking about. I want you to go home and Google the archers, and you'll find out all about it. It'll be fascinating for you. <laughs> so we've looked at this wonderful story in John's Gospel. There was, um, there's an evangelist, an apologist called Joe Boot, um, who uh, one Easter Sunday morning explained um, why it was clear that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. Many people in this room have been on our recent Alpha course, and Helen uh, took that particular section of uh, who was Jesus and, and talked uh, particularly as a, from a point of view of a lawyer about looking carefully at the evidence for the resurrection. And so she did a fantastic job on that particular evening. And Joe Boot did a very similar thing on a Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday. And he spoke about the evidence of over 500 eyewitnesses. He commented about the fact that it was clear that the body wasn't stolen. He quoted lawyers and barristers who said that the evidence for the resurrection was so overwhelming. If it was brought to a court of law, there would be no question that it would be demonstrated that Jesus truly rose from the, uh, the grave. He confidently explained about the accuracy of historical documents uh, that had recorded the events at the particular time, at the time of the resurrection. He concluded his sermon happy that he had covered all bases, covered every angle, and no one could be in any doubt that Jesus Christ had been raised from the tomb. Now, after the service, a woman came up to Joe and said, I can see that it's clear that Jesus really rose from the dead. 
so what? And Joe was rather surprised at this response, and he said, well, what, what do you mean, so what? And the woman looked at him and said, well, it may be so that 2,000 years ago, a man came out of the grave, but what's that got to do with me? And of course, we can answer that question today, because the beauty of the resurrection is that means Jesus is alive. And that means that there are millions of people claiming right now that they are experiencing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can stand before you today and tell you that I personally have experienced that, experienced his power and his love in my life. I know what, he's made, what difference he's made to me. And the great thing about the resurrection is right here, right now, we can test whether it's true. Let me tell you one story about a little girl called Annabeth. Annabeth Christie is now eight and a half months old. She, it suddenly became apparent that little Annabeth not only had hearing difficulties, she couldn't hear at all. Annabeth Christie could not hear. She was completely stone deaf to the extent that her uncle, Michael, is a bugler in the army. And he stood behind her and blew his bugle full blast. She didn't respond at all. Now, Annabeth's mom, Gemma, came round to cut our boy's hair. In fact, I think we still owe the money for that. I've just remembered. <laughs> We've never paid her. Gemma, I'm so sorry. Um, and um, that's an aside. And... Um, and, and Gemma was explaining that Annabeth was unable to hear. And so in amongst the hair cutting, we just decided we would pray for Annabeth, that God would return her, healing, her hearing and would heal her. And so we just prayed for her there and then. That very same week, her hearing was completely and fully restored. Completely restored. Now, that's a month ago, something like that. Her grandparents are here with her. You flick your fingers behind her, she'll be. Before she couldn't hear a bugle behind her. I tell you that story because that's a demonstration of the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. And he can break into people's life in miraculous and powerful ways. And today, people will, will have the opportunity to meet with and experience the risen Jesus. And so the Easter story, as illustrated by that particular example, is a very personal story. It's about God being alive, being involved in individual day-to-day -day experiences. The Easter story is essentially about individual men and women meeting with the risen Jesus and as they encounter him, it changes everything. Easter changes everything. They will never be the same again. To illustrate that, I want to go back to the first Easter day and look at what happened from the uh, passage that these guys have kindly read. Just looking at what happened when individual people met with the risen Jesus Christ. We're going to start with this lady called Mary Magdalene. So born in this little town called Magdala, on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, Mary met with Jesus during the time that he was traveling and teaching. 
She was spiritually oppressed. He set her free. She was so thrilled and so grateful that Jesus had brought hope and freedom into her life that she decided she would travel with him and travel with his followers. And actually, being a fairly wealthy woman, she was able to financially contribute to the needs of the whole group. And we discover this in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. She was an energetic woman. She was a caring woman. She decided she would follow Jesus wherever he was going to go. And she had no idea what that meant. She had no idea that that commitment would cause her to be standing in front of the foot of a Roman cross, seeing Jesus hanging there, dying, an excruciating death. Suddenly, her world was rocked to its core. All she'd hoped for, all that she'd dreamed of, suddenly was vanished. Suddenly, it had gone. The one who had given her new life had had his life taken from her. What was to become of Mary now? Next, we find her going to the tomb of Jesus on the third day after his death. We're told it's very early in the morning, still dark, probably somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. That's early. I know that. I've seen 3 a.m. this morning, and that's early. (laughs) Mary reaches the tomb, but the stone has been removed. The tomb's empty. She panics. She goes back for help. She finds Peter and John. They run to the tomb. They find it empty, and then they leave. Now Mary is alone again. She's standing at the tomb. She's there on her own. She's weeping. She's weeping now, not because Jesus is dead, but because the body's gone. She's suffered the anguish of watching Jesus being killed. Now her mourning is being violated as well. She looks in the tomb. There are two angels, one where Jesus' head should have been, one where Jesus' feet should have been. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus died between two thieves. He was buried between two angels. They ask her a question. They say, woman, why are you crying? They ask her about her tears. Now, from a human perspective, surely we can understand why she would be crying. But as far as heaven was concerned, this was a mystery. Why is she crying? the commentator Bruce Milne puts it, the Bible commentator called Bruce Milne says this, there's one place in space and one moment in time when tears were the least appropriate. It is at the empty tomb of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning. See, she had an earthly perspective. When it comes to Jesus, do we have an earthly perspective Or a heavenly perspective? Do we simply see the circumstances or can we see the bigger picture? Can we see beyond the now? That's already been referenced this morning. Do we need to ask God to open our eyes? As she explains to the angels about the body, she becomes aware of another presence near the tomb. And she turns around and Jesus is standing there, but she doesn't recognize him. That's interesting, isn't it? Why doesn't she recognize him? Strange, isn't it, when people don't recognize you? Have you ever been in that really awkward position where you're walking through town and someone comes up to you and they talk to you because they're an old friend and they've known you forever and you have no clue who they are? And you're fishing away. Hi, how are you? How's the, uh, how are you? How's it going? How are things with you? (laughs) I remember a 
very strange experience about recognizing things. Some of you have heard this story before, but it makes fun of me, so you'll enjoy it again. It was, um, it was a Monday, which was our day off, but um, it was a cold Monday morning, and I turned the central heating on and the boiler, nothing happened. Terrible moment, terrible moment. And uh, a friend of ours came, um, he came in the afternoon, which was very efficient, um, but, uh, and eventually he fixed the boiler. It took until 7.30 in the evening. So our day off had been very cold with a lot of anxiety about whether our boiler was dead. And uh, we'd had a pretty cold and frustrating day off, really. Uh, more than that, we'd not had any tea because I was busy supervising his work, obviously. <laughs> um, so I decided I would go and get some fish and chips because obviously we'd had a rough day and I thought... The only way to cheer myself up is to get some unhealthy fr- uh, fried food. So I went to the fish and chip shop, and I drove to the fish and chip shop, and our fish and chip shop at that particular time was next door to a pub, and so I parked just outside the pub, and I noticed a man hanging around outside the pub, and I'm just getting, uh, as, I, as I'm just parking the car, right, this man, he's a complete stranger, uh, he opens the door of my car, he gets into the car, he shuts the door, he puts his seatbelt on, and he sits next to me. I have never seen this man before in my life. And so I'm sitting in the car, and I'm looking across at him, and he's sitting there, very happy, just sitting, looking straight ahead. And I, I sort of look at him, I say, hello? And he's about my age, so he's not a young man, and he, he, looks, he looks across at me, and he says, oh, oh, sorry, mate, I thought you were my dad. And he gets out of the car and he walks away. So it was, it's like the perfect end to a perfect day, really. Sometimes people don't always recognize each other. But why didn't Mary recognize Jesus? Because she'd spent a long time with him. It wasn't like they just met, like me and this guy at the chip shop. How come she didn't know who he was? Well, there are two important things to say in this regard. First, Mary was looking for a corpse. She wasn't searching for a victorious, risen Lord. And when Jesus says to her, who is it that you're looking for? Maybe there was a hint of challenge in those words. As we search for Jesus, who are we looking for? Are we looking for a crutch? Are we looking for someone to call on when we're in trouble? Are we looking for gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Are we looking for a powerful victorious, living Lord. So maybe Mary didn't recognize him because she was looking for the wrong thing. And sometimes we can be looking for the wrong thing or looking with wrong expectations or looking with our own agenda as to what we want to find. Jesus will meet with us, but he may meet with us unexpectedly, not always in the way that we were thinking of. Secondly, and I believe More significantly, Mary didn't recognize Jesus because he had a new resurrection body. In some indefinable sense, he was different. He was the same but different. He was clothed with with a resurrection body. And this is a massive encouragement to every Christian because anyone who believes in Christ has been promised a glorious new resurrection body in the next life. It's unbelievable, it's incredible, but it's true. Christians get a new body in heaven. I'm looking forward to mine. I know it's hard to believe God could do better than this, but apparently 
He can. That, that wasn't part of the funny bits. A bit. So Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. She assumes it's such an early hour, only the gardener will be up. So she's thinking that Jesus is the gardener. And so she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. I love this bit. I love this bit. Do you get the, the irony of this bit? Mary asks Jesus, are you responsible for the disappearance of the body of Jesus from the tomb? Yes, he was, in the most profound sense possible. And then we come to the highlight of the whole story, the most wonderful moment of all. Jesus speaks, and Jesus speaks one word. And that word, that word changed everything. That word changed her world. That word meant that her life was never, ever, ever going to be the same again. And that word was her own name. Mary. She knew. When he said her name, she immediately knew. That's him. It's Jesus. It was really him. He'd been present for the whole of the conversation, but she didn't realize it until he spoke her name. Can I say to you, it's possible for Jesus to be present and yet for us not to recognize him? But then he speaks to us. Today, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to people today. He may have already spoken, and you know it. You know it he has he may still be going to speak so keep listening as he says our name we know he's alive he's real he's close by he's with us he's calling us the greatest moment in my life was when jesus called my name said terry follow me didn't hear it audibly i didn't hear it like mary heard it I heard in my heart, it was no less real, I can tell you that. Today, the risen Lord Jesus is speaking into people's hearts. And he's calling your name. And he's saying, you come. You come and follow me. Finally, Jesus says to Mary, go to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father. My God and your God. What a statement. The risen Lord Jesus refers to his followers as brothers. Same family, part of the same family. And then he says, I'm going to my father and your father. How can he use such words? Of course, he is uniquely the son of God. But something has happened. A new level of relationship has been thrown open to these people. My father, your father, my God, your God. Jesus, by his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, has opened up a new level of relationship with God the Father. This means we can receive him and believe in him. And as we do that, we truly, truly become his children. So it's true. We can know God intimately. And this has come about because of what happened at Easter. What difference does the resurrection make to our life now? To answer that young lady who spoke to Joe Boot, it makes every difference. It changes our life 
now and for eternity. Why? Because the way has been opened up for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. After Jesus had appeared to Mary, later he appeared to his disciples, but one of them was missing. See, three years earlier, Thomas had been chosen as one of the 12 followers to be closest to Jesus. He's only mentioned twice before the Easter story. The first time in John chapter 11, verse 16, we hear him state that he is prepared to go to Jerusalem to die with Jesus. That's a demonstration of his loyalty to Jesus. The second time is in John 14, verse 5, where he speaks up. He says he's no idea what Jesus is talking about when Jesus says he's going to the Father. And so from these little snapshots, we can see that Thomas is a man who is loyal but pessimistic. He's a follower of Jesus. He's ready to die with him if needs be, but he's sometimes a little bit slow to understand. He's not afraid to say so. I don't know what's going on. You have to tell me. I don't understand. Now, it may be that Thomas wasn't with the other guys when Jesus appeared the first time because he was so devastated by what had happened in, the, in terms of the death of Jesus. He decided he just wanted to be alone. He just couldn't cope. He needed to be by himself to come to terms with it. Now, that can be valid, of course, but I think there is a lesson here. Thomas initially missed out because he wasn't there when Jesus turned up. He wasn't with the others. He was on his own. So let's make sure we don't miss out by choosing loneliness rather than togetherness, by choosing isolation rather than fellowship. Things can happen to us within the fellowship of the church which will not happen to us when we're alone. The time when we want to shut ourselves away from other Christians is usually the very time where we need to be meeting up with other people. That could be important for some people here today. Maybe really challenging for some people, but also really important for some people. So Jesus comes to the disciples and Thomas is not there. And the disciples say to Thomas what Mary said to them, we've seen the Lord, we've seen Jesus. And at that point, Thomas draws down and lays down some conditions. He goes, right, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And from this one famous statement, Thomas has been typecast for all eternity as doubting Thomas. Yes, Thomas doubted the words of his colleagues, but actually he was very sure about one thing. He knew what would happen if Jesus turned up. He knew what he would do. Yes, what will happen is this. Jesus will appear. Not that that will happen, of course, because Jesus, I don't believe he will, but if he does turn up, then I will still not believe it unless I can put my fingers in the wounds. Only then will I believe he has been physically raised. You lot were, I don't know, probably hallucinating. You got a bit excited. You ate too much cheese or whatever. Something happened. Unless I can touch him, it's not true. Yes, that's what needs to happen for me to believe. Thomas had his strategy sorted. He had a plan. And then Jesus turned up. And there he was, standing in the midst of them, the risen Lord Jesus, the glorious one, the conqueror of death. There he was. Jesus turns his attention towards Thomas. Go on, Thomas, touch the wounds. Stop doubting, believe. It's a favorite theme of artists, isn't it? Many pictures have been painted like this one, showing 
Doubting Thomas reaching out to touch the wounds of the resurrected Jesus. I want to say this to you. I'm not sure that ever happened. It's pretty unlikely Thomas ever did any such thing. I suggest to you that Thomas was so overwhelmed at the appearance of Jesus, he did nothing other than speak out his great confession, my Lord and my God. Thomas' great plan had failed. His bold words, unless he does this, unless I do that, unless, all came to nothing. His agenda melted away. I want to suggest to you, often we set agendas and they melt away when Jesus turns up. I'll do this and I'll say that and then Jesus comes and all of our human planning moves into the background. And maybe you're in a place where you're working and thinking and planning and you need to stop. Maybe you need to stop and encounter Jesus once again. Put your plans on hold. Just check their God-given plans. Just stop in your own strength and once again encounter the risen Jesus. From that day, everything changed for Thomas. It changed everything. This changed everything for Thomas. Why? Well, because he met with Jesus. Nothing else would have done. Nothing else would have taken him to the places that he went apart from this. Nothing, only this. An encounter with the risen Jesus. And we know that from this very second he saw the resurrected Jesus, he was changed. How how do we know that from that very second he was changed? Well, because of the language he uses. My Lord and my God. Not Lord, God. Not O Lord, O God. No, my Lord, my God. It's intensely, deeply personal. It's not some abstract theological definition about the person of Jesus Christ. No, Jesus is Thomas's Lord. It's personal, it's emotional, it's relational, it's wonderful. It's why the resurrection makes a difference today. It's why Easter is so relevant even 2,000 years later. We can still meet with Jesus. This isn't just me getting a bit excited. This is pure logic. If Jesus rose from the grave and conquered death, then he is continually alive. If he's continually alive, he's alive today. If he's alive today, we can meet with him today. It's a fact that right now, in this present time, in this point in history, millions of people around the world day by day, fall fall at the feet of Jesus and they whisper, my Lord and my God. It's personal. That's why the Easter story is so important in 2017. It's of eternal importance to every individual who needs to meet with Jesus. Just listen to this story. Little Philip was born with Down syndrome and attended a Sunday school class with several eight-year-old boys and girls. Typical of that age, the children did not readily accept Philip because he was different. But because of a creative teacher, they began to care about Philip, accepted him as part of the group, though not fully. The Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought containers that looked like large eggs. Each receiving one, the children were told to go outside on a lovely spring day, find a symbol of new life, and put it in the egg-like container. 
Back in the classroom, they would all share their new life symbols, opening the containers one by one in surprise fashion. And so surrounded by the children, obviously they run around the, the property um, for a while in wild confusion, and uh, they return to the classroom, they place the containers on the table, and surrounded by the children, the teacher began to open them one by one. And each one, whether they be a butterfly or a flower or a leaf or whatever, the, the class would ooh and ah appropriately. And then one was opened, and there was nothing inside it. And the children were annoyed. They said, that's stupid. Someone hasn't done their assignment. And Philip spoke up, and he said, that's mine. And they said, oh, Philip, you never do anything right. There's nothing in it. And Philip said, I did it right. I did do it. It's empty. The tomb was empty. Silence followed. Suddenly, Philip became a full member of the class. Sadly, Philip died not long afterwards from an infection that most children would have been able to recover from, but he could not. At the funeral, a class of eight-year-olds marched to the altar, not with flowers, but with a Sunday school teacher. And they laid empty eggs on the altar. Easter is deeply personal. Whether you're a woman weeping at the tomb, a skeptic struggling to believe it, or an eight-year-old boy with an empty egg, it's deeply personal. It affects us all. Referring to those individual stories, may, maybe something applies to you here today. Let's just look back for a moment and reflect on what we've said. Mary wept the tomb because she had an earthly perspective rather than a heavenly perspective. When it comes to Jesus, do we have an earthly perspective or a heavenly perspective? Do we simply see the circumstances or do we see the bigger picture? Can we see beyond the now? Do we need to ask God to open our eyes? Secondly, Jesus was with Mary in the garden, but initially she didn't recognize him. Is it possible for Jesus to be present and yet for us not to recognize him? If that's so, let me tell you, he will speak to you. He can speak to you. He's speaking to people today. Just like he spoke to Mary. As he says our name, we know he's alive, know that he's real, know that he's close by. He's with us, he's calling us. Thomas initially missed out because he wasn't there when Jesus turned up. He wasn't with the others. He was on his own. Are we missing out by choosing loneliness rather than togetherness, by choosing isolation rather than fellowship of the church? Thomas' great plan failed. His bold words, unless I do this, unless I do that, they came to nothing. His agenda melted away. Maybe you're in a place where you're working and planning and thinking and you just need to encounter the risen Jesus again. Put your plans on hold. Just check. They're God-given plans. Stop in your own strength and once again encounter the risen Jesus. And Thomas said, my Lord, my God, it's deeply personal. My final challenge. Can you 
today say to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Let's finish by praying. I wonder whether we could stand together. I'd love the musicians to come back. I'd just like to pray for us. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. The resurrected Jesus. I believe the resurrected Jesus, just as we have our eyes closed right now, I believe he's coming into the living room of your heart. He's sitting at the table. And he's encouraging you. Do you want to open the door of every room? Do you want to make this a new beginning? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that we would each have a heavenly perspective as we understand you and as we look to you. I pray, Father, you would open our eyes to see you as you really are. I pray, Father, that you would speak. I pray, Jesus, you would speak our name. You would speak. He's speaking your name. And I pray, too, that we would choose togetherness rather than loneliness. That we would be part of your family, Father. And I pray, as we just come back to worship now, I want to pray that each of us would encounter the risen Jesus. Amen. Let's worship him as we conclude.